0: broadcasting from america's finest digital studios this is the 5.5 podcast today
2: the guys are joined by john conniff from mad friars for some prospect talk and they will
0: celebrate trevor hoffman finally being elected into the hall of fame suck it keith law here are your hosts danny ortiz and eric Labou.
2: And welcome back, everybody, to the 5.5 Hall of Fame Emergency Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Ortiz, alongside my best friend, Eric LeBou. As we just broke, Trevor Hoffman is a Hall of Famer. Finally, how does it feel, Eric? I am rock hard. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I didn't I didn't want to know that. I didn't want to know that. Anyways, I'm sure our guest, John Conniff of Madfriars, uh, did not want to know that. We're going to get into uh, some uh, conversation with John here in a little bit, some articles he's written, and, of course, all the prospect news which outside of trevor that's all we have to uh, go off of but god eric how good does it feel to get the monkey off our back and get trevor into the hall of fame padres twitter did it
0: yeah we finally did it we finally did something right after uh, arguing about jose rondon we still haven't brought back brown uniforms but god damn it <laughs> we got we got hoffman in the hall of fame so i'll, I'll take it
2: thank goodness now yeah. i'm not lying when eric and i uh dropped out of know 40 f <laughs> um
0: we, we were- totally fanboyed we listened back to it we were like god we're Fucking fruit cakes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like I, I likened it off air
2: to it's like when you propose and even I know this as a single dad. When you propose <laughs> You know that this person is going to say yes. You know the answer. So we're already watching this, we know it's it's not like it was last year where he's really borderline in the public But ballots. did we know
0: he missed by like four or five votes last year?
2: Last year, yes, but he was really really borderline in public ballot right. uh, ballots, which is why he missed cuz you're going to go down when the private ballots are uh, revealed. So I think this year we all kind of just had a feeling, you know, that he's he's I think he was in the 80% range. Uh, for the most part with the public ballots even if he fell off it's going to take a significant you know drop for him to get knocked off the ballot so i feel like we had a pretty good idea that trevor was going in but just to hear trevor's a hall of famer huge sigh of relief and obviously you know related
0: Yeah, definitely, and thanks to uh, Padres Jagoff for his points chat, hashtag points chat, I have a free companion pass, so maybe I'll take you. Yeah, take me. I think I can change the name on the companion pass like twice, I'll just take my wife's name off and fuck off. Yeah, Me and Danny are going to Cooperstown. (laughs)
2: Yeah, I'll go, just let me know, let's get some babysitting uh, situated and... I would love to go.
0: Yeah. I'd absolutely love to go. Anyways, uh, go ahead and bring in our uh, guest. We have a very special guest. The Overlord is here, Eric. Yes, he is here. And and as I was uh, saying off-air when we were all talking, Coniff was on earlier on the Mighty 1090 with uh, Gennaro and Carruth, and I, I joked that he is going from Mount Everest to uh, Death Valley. So, <laughs> so without further ado, we'll go ahead and bring him on in. What's going on, John? Thanks so much for coming on.
1: Not much. Thanks for having me. And I as I said, off-air, I always enjoy you guys' podcast. It's definitely in my... Uh, Top three on the rotation. So I always download you guys when you drop a new one.
0: Top three. We appreciate that. Also, um, every every once in a while, like after our episodes are out for well, maybe like five days to a week, I always check on, on the uh, SoundCloud and the stats. And I always see different listens in different countries. And I understand you were one of the listens in Thailand. That's Just, where it came from? Yeah. Yeah. We always thought it was in a massage parlor, or something. Or <laughs> Happy ending parlor. <laughs> yeah, but that was from you, so we appreciate it. So, yeah, let's let's go ahead and get right into it. So, um, you took over Mad Friars Is what two thousand and three? What how how'd you uh, come about for that? Like, what what made you want to say, hey, let's uh, cover this awful farm system?
1: Yes, yeah, we were t- discussing. I mean, um, around late nineties, two thousand, I started getting back more into baseball and. Uh, to show how old I am, I was on the ESPN message board far too much, and I thought, <laughs> there has to be something I can do that's more productive with my time. Right. And I always right. thought, if the Padres were ever going to be any good, it was going to be through the farm system. There just wasn't a whole lot of coverage on it in the UT or uh, you know on 1090, so I tried to find out more about it. And a guy named Dennis Savage ran Mad Friars, so uh, he hooked me up, and he was able to, you know, we had some money, so I was able to afford to take different trips. See guys and do interviews and uh, kind of led from there. And around 2008, I think Dennis has uh, has five kids and get promoted, so he didn't have that much time to do it. So I I started taking it over and you know David J and Ben Davy joined. Then uh, took your buddy Kevin Charity about about three years ago, and then we just added uh, Marcus Pond and Travis Burnett, who really will help us out this year. So we have really. Nice little crew, who covers all the Padres minor league system, and uh, it's been great for us since A.J. Preller took over. He's really invested a lot into it.
2: Oh, I bet. I, I, I'm, I'm sure it wasn't exciting the first year he took over, but the second year, obviously, has uh, turned it around big time. Now, just to, so we can put it in perspective, because some, some people, you know, the farm system and minor league players, your know, rankings, prospects, that's kind of yeah. become a, it went from like a niche topic to really popular. I mean, there's a big, big form for it now, but just to show people how much the Padres have grown since you've covered them, Fernando Tatis Jr. is obviously their number one guy right now. Who was the number one guy when you joined? Was it Tag Bozade?
1: Tag Bozade? Yeah, who smashed his knee on a Grand Slam walk-off home run.
2: Oh, he got Kendrick Morales? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. In 2003, it might have been I think that was Khalil Green. It's just coming oh, up. Oh, that's they, not bad. That's pretty good. Khalil Khalil Green and they just had the big love fest for Sean Burroughs. Uh,
2: he was already up, was, though, I feel like. I think he'd already he's like in year 2 or 3. I think Green debuted in 03. Who was the guy like was there ever any excitement over like uh Josh Barfield? Was anybody like, "Man, we can't wait till this kid comes up?"
1: Yeah, Barfield was the guy who like led the the Cow and RBIs was really young and you know he came up and then he had like about 240 in Mobile and I remember the guys explained to me why uh it really was a, a hard 240 he was hitting or or something like that I was just starting off then so I would kind of would listen to them a little bit more um I still listen now but I wouldn't have as much cynicism on certain things as I do now but yeah they they had a really different system I mean the first year I did this, it was kind of all over the map. Then, after 2004, kind of the Sandy Alderson group took over with Grady Fuson, and they were really very heavily on, uh, you know, sabermetrics and the whole moneyball thing. They they wouldn't draft really high school guys, was college guys. You know, you'd go to Fort Wayne, you'd see guys who were kind of balding who were like in their mid-20s, <laughs> were playing. Oh, uh, and, uh, it, and it was all just, you know— Everything was about how many walks the guy took and how many change and and the worst thing was, there's there was no one that would throw with any velocity. And oh, I, uh, and Tim
2: Stoffers or Josh Griers of the world, Wade LeBlanc's yeah. control guys.
1: Yeah, like Josh Gear is a, is a wonderful oh, guy, boy. great great person. I mean, he'd want him to teach your kid baseball, but you know, Matt Lato, she wouldn't trust Ray to water your plant once a week. <laughs> like six six and threw like 95 miles per hour with control so yeah you would get sick of hearing all the stuff from them like well Maddox doesn't throw 90 I mean and just you know
2: that's false too because Maddox was consistently like 92 93 in his prime he wasn't 87 88 miles an hour
1: that wasn't a point they like to hear. Oh, <laughs> I mean, well, yeah.
0: Indeed. but he he facts. facts. But at the end of the day, Maddox is a Hall of Famer, and that's the biggest news today. We'll we'll get into the prospect talk later on with the Baseball America Top 100, the Keith Law Top 100 coming out. He's
2: not enemy number one anymore. He oh. is.
0: He's always enemy number one. He had
2: a very nice write-up. We'll get into that later. Yeah.
0: So, hey, if you guys are listening, follow uh, John on Twitter at MadFriars, uh, madfriars.com. Go on and subscribe. Very, very cheap. A cup of coffee a month. Just drop the coffee and uh, subscribe to Mad Fryer. So third time is a charm. That's the article that you dropped today, John. It kind of dove into the uh, voting process and right. maybe a little bit of flaws with the voting process. And we're, we're asking you off air, if, if you were in charge of the voting process, how, how would you handle that?
1: Well, I think what we talked about, the biggest thing is it's always going to be a flawed process because we can all have different definitions of what great is. And no one can really wrong because it's not a hard and fast line the biggest flaw in the voting process is it's is rob nyer who's written quite a few books on baseball history point out that in the late 30s you know the right newspapers were the only media that covered baseball and you know things have changed since television and with the introduction of a lot more internet sites baseball media has really changed but the bbwa baseball writers association of america for the most part has not and so what you end up doing is you end up having a lot of guys that are just that are beat writers or former beat writers who have not covered it for a long time, that are voting on the Hall of Fame. And as Rob point out, you know, determining, like I said in my article, whether or not Stuffy McInnes and or uh, Johnny Mize is a Hall of Famer at first base is different than writing about if the Mets beat the Phillies on Tuesday night. And that's kind of the problem I think that exists there. He, Rob point out that. You know, we'd like to kind of see a shortening of when people get to vote, maybe to five years. I'd rather see it about three. And also, you know, a shortening of how long guys get to vote who don't cover baseball anymore, which, you know, I think is a big problem. And that's the main guys you see that are keeping people like Bonds and Clemens out of the Hall of Fame and kind of making this always kind of an overstuffed ballot, which it shouldn't be.
2: What's your take on Bonds and Clemens? I mean, real real off the cuff, just curious because you brought them up. What is your take? On Bonds and Clemens, or steroid guys in general. Yeah, because personally, I mean, Eric and I, I think, are on the same page where it's you know, I don't buy that. You're not going to give me steroids, and I'm going to turn in the best adult player uh in our adult league. Like, I don't buy that. I do think it helps, but only to a point. So, no, Eric and I are performance based. Bonds and Clemens for us, Hall of Famers. What's your take on those two guys?
1: Yeah, I'm with you guys 100 because I think one is. We'll
2: keep you on the show.
1: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> No, I think you just – I think you vote on people that they are if they're eligible because I think a lot of these guys have never lifted a weight in their life. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, you can't go in – I mean, you know, when I was in San Diego and I, before I went to grad school, I was a restaurant manager. You know, I used to go down to Gold's Gym. I was a pretty good-sized guy, six 6'3", about 240. They
2: don't hand those Gold Gyms uh, passes out to anybody, John. Don't be so
1: hungry. Oh, you'd, be in, you'd be in there and, you know, I was like a medium-sized guy – It wasn't a real topic of conversation. You go up to some guy and go, My, you're a large person. What type of animal are you taking? (laughs) Are
2: you on the cream?
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, all these guys, you don't know who did it or who didn't do it. So I think you got to come down to, as long as someone's eligible to vote, you know, they they should be considered. I mean, I would consider guys like Manny Ramirez, I'd consider Alex Rodriguez. And, uh, you know, so many of these guys, you just don't know. You hear so many. You know, the, the God, I think I've listened to the Piazza back acne crap anymore. Oh,
2: yeah. I I don't remember anything about Piazza. I don't remember anything about Bagwell back in the day. The only guys I remember particularly was Maguire and Sosa. But even then, more so than anybody, Maguire. Well,
0: at it, that point, to be fair, we, we were a little bit younger during that time, so we're just focusing on, on loving that all these people are hitting home runs. That's true. Right, we that, that was paying in 98, which attention. was just magical. Right.
1: But I completely agree with Danny. I mean, as. As big as I may have been there, Alexia Marisa could hit the ball further than I could because I mean it's about <laughs> it's about contact and it's, it's about it's a skill driven what sport. Be, yes, definitely. And so I just think a lot of the stuff just goes is just is just bullshit. You know?
2: <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate the uh, the uh, candor. Um, so uh, let's get into the article. Uh, Eric's going to point out some stuff because it's a really good article. I, I okay. would highly advise it. Uh, if you guys go on the Twitter there, follow at
0: MadFriars. That's the Overlord's handle. Uh, go ahead, Eric. Point out some stuff because there's a lot of good things going on. Well, the the one thing that I really liked in the article here as I'm pulling it up is um, how you tend to shift the focus to percentages. And when it comes right. down to closers. And then also you brought in uh, Mariano as well. So they're actually very, very similar. We're talking within – Really, what point two two on their right. their conversion? So I, I really, yeah. I just wanted to point out that I like how you actually brought that up because as a closer, that's your job. You gotta you gotta save games. So um, I, I thought it was interesting that you put that in. Do you want to elaborate on that a little bit?
1: Well, I think on Twitter we had the second long uh, conversation with David J and uh, Marvel went back and forth on <laughs> on closers and all that. I don't think Marvel
2: sleeps. If you want my honest <laughs> opinion, I think he just sits on Twitter waiting for an argument.
1: No, we're working on the Jose Rondon to the Hall of Fame. That's pretty much-
2: <laughs> that, I heard he's uh, going to make Bill Center's top 100. Yeah.
1: He <laughs> should.
2: I yeah, no. Bill Center thinks he's still the number one prospect in the system.
0: Yeah.
1: That's Jake Gocho, probably. I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> yeah. uh, no. But, you know, hold on. I'm sorry. I lost my train of thought. <laughs> what so, was the original?
0: <laughs> sorry. That's that's our fault. We do that sometimes. Uh, no. The percentages with Mariano and, and Hoffman –
1: well, I think that's how a closer either keeps or loses his job, and it's pretty simple. I mean, I think, you know, uh, you guys can make really good arguments on how bad the save stat is, but at the end of the day, and a couple of times I've had gone to interview Hoffman, uh, pardon me for the name drop, the rich care name drop, quote my friend Kevin Charity, um, but that's all Hoffman would say really looked at, and that's all any, save, any closer does, and that's how Hoffman lost his job in Milwaukee, and then was he, he wasn't, you know, finishing games. And I, my favorite comment in the article I wrote the year before, because it's kind of been, a, I'll have to find something new to do now if the Hall of Fame time's over, was Joey Krasnick <laughs> made a great comment. Was He said, because I just, the opening one on that one was Joe Sheehan, who's a guy um, who I think Danny would love, was just crapping all over Hoffman's Hall of Fame candidacy. He said, if they put Hoffman in the Hall of Fame, like they owe an apology to Andy Bennis. And-
2: <laughs> oh, my gosh.
1: <laughs> and Kravnik made a good comment. He said, you know, all these guys talk about it's just three outs and all this, but you look at Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer, and they're the patron saints of a lot of the sabermetric community, and every time they wanted to win, they went out and got a closer. You know, So everyone everyone spouts noise, but when you need to win, I mean, look at what the Cubs did. I mean, they traded one of the best prospects in baseball, Torres, to get, like, what, a couple months? Of, of all a closer? The- yeah. And that's it. And I mean, I think if we start looking at it, like I think Wagner should be in the Hall of Fame. No if we're looking from right. like 1990 to 2015, a 25-year period, and we're saying, I think Rivera, Hoffman, and Wagner should be Hall of Famers. I don't think that's really like flooding the, the market with too many guys.
0: Right. And you, know, you kind of touched on the whole sabermetric community in which... I'm, I'm trying to come around to it, but I've always mm. kind of been a little bit more traditional, yeah. I guess you would say. Um, but the dumb. thing Yeah, dumb, I guess. <laughs> and and I'm, I'll openly admit it, I don't I don't care. Um, the thing that I was thinking, and something that you can't quantify with metrics, is the fact, like, if you look at Hoffman, right? So when he first comes in, he's blowing smoke. He's throwing, what, upper 90s change-up? Right. And then he yep. blows out his shoulder. He has to completely reinvent himself, and he barely lost his step. He still was able to maintain that, that percentage, that 88-point um, whatever you have there, 88 point uh, and change. He was able to maintain that, and you, that doesn't show up on any war stat or anything. And I think that says a lot to have to completely reinvent yourself as as a player and still maintain that
1: excellence. Um, well, a lot, mean, of the, of that? a lot of the critiques by the sabermetric guys, and uh, you know, Danny can probably fill us in more, is just that you don't want to pay for them because they don't last. But Hoffman and, and Rivera with the 600 saves – and you gotta look the guy closest to Hoffman, I think, is Lee Smith, who's in the mid fours, and Lee actually has like a seventy two percent save rate. So there's a noticeable difference between those two guys. The argument for Wagner, I think, relies more on rate stats, which you know I like too. And they're just different parts.
2: Yeah, and even with the rate stats, because I'm I'm a rate guy. I, I like rate stats. Eric's more of a counting numbers guy. He'll say well, so-and-so has only this many hits. I think it was uh, Edgar when uh, you and I first met. Eric was not big on Edgar Martinez. Oh, he doesn't have 3,000 hits. He doesn't even have 2,500. And it's like, the way I look at it is, how does this guy compare at bat to a bat? Uh, Craig Metty on Twitter and I uh, had a nice little debate going about why Chase Utley's war is equal to Alomar when he viewed Alomar on another level. Mm-hmm. Because at bat for at bat, they're about the same player. One got on base a little more. The other hit for more power. They were both equally great base runners. Utley just took extra bases to be that way, and Alomar stole bases to be that way. But So I'm more of a, what is this guy doing in at-bat for at-bat? For Trevor, I can see the argument on both ends, especially with relievers because they blow out. But I like Tom Verducci's take on Trevor Hoffman in that, you know, you don't get the closer job you know, right off the bat, you know, they don't bring a rookie up and say you're our closer. It's just kind of a, you know, it's, it's Darwinism, right? It's survival of the fittest. Trevor survived for all but one year of his career. And when he didn't survive, he called it a day. He said, I'm done. I, I don't have it anymore. To me, I can buy into that where you're consistently performing at an above average level for a long period of time. I can buy into that kind of totality where there were years where Trevor was up there with Rivera, but the reality is he's not as good It's just in terms of run prevention. But he has enough elite years and then a pile of above-average years, all-star caliber years, where I think the totality of that for 16, 17, 18 years is enough to get him in.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good way to look at it when you're looking at both ways. I mean, you when you, go, when you don't take either side into account, you're kind of screwing yourself up. I mean, like if – Aaron Judge ends up hitting 800 home runs, and Eric says, yeah, I think he's a Hall of Famer. And you go, hey, don't give me your big round numbers bullshit. I mean, <laughs> or, 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 you know, Eric does have, you have a lot
2: of know, things I big and round.
1: Them. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing with guys. I mean, like I love like Craig and John, and Craig, uh, Craig Elson's always good with the big round numbers. And you start thinking, well, okay, 3,000 hits, okay, that's 200 hits a year for 15 years. I mean that's that's good. I mean that's a big round number and I mean you kind of got to keep things in perspective if for some reason Will Myers posts a baseball card next year of like 325 and 40 home runs and 130 RBIs there's probably some other numbers I'd be with Danny that I'd kind of look to first but you kind of saying that's a good year. <laughs> I mean, yeah, oh yeah,
2: no doubt. I've, I think you take uh, both into consideration. Yeah, I I think yeah. so. Because there's, a, I think Joe Carter is one of the guys that hit 300 or 30 home runs in a year, but slugged under 400, which make or had like a sub 300 on base,
0: right? So right. You, you have to take everything into consideration. Well, here's exactly. here's my thing, and when I think, and I truly think this, I think if Mar, let's say in some world where Mariano Rivera never existed, he never made it to the major leagues, it was just Hoffman running the show. Hoffman would have been slam dunk, first ballot, right? And I feel like I feel like Hoffman was unfairly compared to Mo. I mean, Mariano, he's the best to ever do it. Let's face it. We love Hoffman, but Mo's the best to ever do it until Craig Kimball retires. But that's a whole other story. <laughs> that's a whole other story. But as great as Mo is, that doesn't take away from how great Trevor was. It's like in, in basketball. I'm not the biggest basketball guy, but just because Jordan was the best doesn't mean that Magic wasn't great too. Or that so, LeBron isn't great right now, or that Kobe wasn't great when he was kobe
1: well, two things. There's one, the really hardcore guys don't think think Rivera is an exception. If Rivera wasn't there, they wouldn't put Hoffman in. He still wouldn't put Hoffman in. And a thing too, what we were talking about off the air. The problem when we, we listened to MLB Roundtable and and Russo's argument, oh, Hoffman, which oh. we all three of us didn't like, is like, under Russo's argument, you know, Tony Gwynn should not be in the Hall of Fame because he's not Babe Ruth and he's not mm-hmm. Hank Aaron, so screw it. hell, he's not even Roberto Clemente. So, I mean, he shouldn't even be there. I mean, and that's just a ridiculous, stupid argument. And I'm, I'm kind of couching how I feel, as you can tell. But, uh... hey, it's
2: okay. That's we, let it out. Let it out. Be Dr. Eric, Dr. Daniel, let it out.
1: Exactly. But, you know, yeah, I think Hoffman does. I think Wagner does. But the problem with, we go back to the voting, there's about 15 or 16 guys on there that you can make a good argument should be in the Hall of Fame too. I mean, it's ridiculous that Mike Mucina is not in the Hall of Fame.
2: Yeah, especially considering that uh, yes. Jack Morris just got in with, like yep. a, I mean, just an eyelash shy of a 4 ERA. Mucina's, I think, is 3-6, so it may not look impressive, but you got to look at the era he pitched in. Oh, I mean, yeah. His peak was during the steroid era, and he was one of the better pitchers in the game. He wasn't Pedro, but he's that next tier right there with Schilling, in my opinion.
1: Well, the, the the candidacies of Jack Morris and Jim Rice are just, you know, a lot of the really old-time guys telling guys like you who <laughs> look at facts <laughs> that you don't know what <laughs> So, uh, yeah, you run into that. You see, But, you know, it was a very – you know, it says I'm a lot older than you guys. It was a very different era. I mean, guys like Bill Sinner, when they would write for the UT, I mean, that's where you used to find out about – the Padres. You couldn't watch. They, hell, they, Channel 6 wouldn't show most of the away games. And so, you know, you listen to the radio or Bill. And I think those guys kind of really don't like how this kind of new air is going in there where people can kind of challenge them. Like one of the worst things, like I'm a big fan of MLB Network, when someone comes up and says it's wrong on Twitter to, to criticize someone for having a bad ballot and you shouldn't do that. I'm thinking, you know, when a guy turns in a ballot and it just says Jack Morris because everyone else is on steroids, <laughs> no, you know, that's a bad ballot. I can
0: say that.
1: Yeah, and you and you have a right to call him out. I mean, if we do rankings on Mad Friars that people don't agree with, you know, people let us know about it, and that's fine, too. They should. I mean, you can't be a little sensitive pansy, especially when your job is criticizing ballplayers, uh-huh. you know. You can yeah. take the shots, too.
2: <laughs> now, I have a question in terms of, uh, you know, writers being more um... – you know, open about their ballots. I'm for writers having their ballots public, regardless if they choose to or not. If you take right. a hall of fame ballot, it's gotta be public. I think that should be for any voting, whether it's MVP, all-star, um, presidential Pre- <laughs> presidential, presidential, <laughs> uh, but I do think particularly the hall of fame ballots should be public. I want to know who didn't vote for Ken Griffey Jr. Who didn't vote for Tony Gwynn or Ted Williams. Who's not going to vote for Mike Trout. You know, I, I think that it would create more, uh, what's that word I'm looking for, Eric?
1: Transparency.
2: Transparency, thank That's you. That's why we have you on, John. That's why you're here, yeah. overlord. Uh, what's your take <laughs> on that? Are you for, like, all public ballot?
1: Yeah, I mean, if you have a problem making your ballot public or you don't want the attention, then don't vote. No one's forcing you to vote. You can just say, I choose not to. And as we said before, you know, this is not really what these guys do on a regular basis. So, I mean, either put in the research and – And again, I don't think it's that difficult to do. I think we were talking, too, is I I took a trip up to uh, Cooperstown when um, they didn't have the election of anyone on there. And I interviewed one of the guys at the Hall of Fame. This is when the BGO just missed it. There was none there. And we asked him about the Hall of Fame and the voters. And this is all off the record, and we're kind of discussing, like, who's the best guy to do it? And as we were talking, the guy said, Well, you can pretty much have, you know, Jay Jaffe, Sean Foreman, Bill James, maybe two or three other guys that all meet around a table. And, you know, when they found another person, it'd be two or three puffs of smoke, depending how many people, like when they have a, a new pope. <laughs> but he made the point, he said, That would not be good for us. When I mean, what's good is every single one of these guys gets to read in the winter who talks about the, the horror of filling out the Hall of Fame ballot and of a bygone age, you know, when you let. Let all these steroid guys go, another burden and the glory. But all it is is free publicity for the Baseball Hall of Fame, and they like that. Oh, I and bet the guys, they do. They talking, yeah.
2: So I have something to to ask you in terms of like the writers, because they're basically the gatekeepers, right? You know, they right. get to decide if somebody like Barry Bonds, long after he's gone, is remembered as something other than what we see with Babe Ruth now, because people know who Babe Ruth is
1: partially. But- good. There because half remember half the guys in the Hall of Fame were put in there by veterans committees But yeah, on and the writers they get about the first they get the first crack at them sure. for about 10 years Yes,
2: sure. So with that with them being the gatekeepers. Do you think there's any? hypocrisy on their end not voting these steroid guys in because you Eric and I were talking off air and we're all performance based Right if you are right. eligible because you played the ten years to be put into the Hall of Fame if you put up the career then, you know, and you're good enough, you should earn the vote, right? It's yes or no. Um, Are you on the same page as I am in terms of these writers who claim, oh, we knew it was going on, we knew it was going on, and who turned a blind eye because they're making tons of money as writers reporting on the hottest sport in the nation, and then, of course, you know, seeing all these home runs being hit, all these records broken. Do you think there's a little hypocrisy for these writers to have allowed that to happen just as much as Bud Selig, who's in the Hall of Fame, allowed it to happen? Um, to then say 10, 15, 20 years down the line, oh, Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, you know what? You guys aren't Hall of Famers. I'm sorry. You cheated, and I'm not going to stand for that, even though I stood for that 10, 15, 20 years ago when I was making a killing writing articles on you.
1: Right. Well, today I took a full day off because I was going to geek out on the Hall of Fame. And the guy <laughs> who had a really good discussion, just what you're talking about, was Matty V on The Morning Show. And he made the point – someone kept bringing up the part, like John Heyman was, we let these guys go and all this. And, and Matty B said, well, what are you really supposed to do? I mean, honestly, if you're around those guys and you – are you going to sit there and tell someone who came back who's 20 pounds bigger that, like, what, did you use steroids? What's the guy going to say? No, he well, didn't. Can tell
2: somebody. Who's the guy that – I think – I forget their names now, but they were with ESPN. They broke the Barry Bonds steroid scandal. You're telling me these riders didn't have the clout at ESPN to do that? Some guy claimed he saw was it horse pills or something in McGuire's or a locker. He saw some kind of pills in there, and he didn't say anything. That was anything. Yeah, that it was, was McGuire. Yeah, but you know they saw something in his locker, but they can break it, you know, years down the line, but not at the time. I personally, I just find there to be a bit of hypocrisy there. If you knew it was going on, you obviously weren't going to say anything. But now that it's oh, it's illegal. Now I can say something and. Now that it, I can prevent you from getting into the Hall of Fame, here's where I'm going to stand up and disagree. I think it's a little passive aggressive on the writer's end.
1: It might be, but I think there's a difference between thinking you know something and actually proving it. And that's what most of these guys can't do. Like we were just talking about walking into to a gym and you know just talking to different guys that are big, going, "Excuse me, can you tell me what steroids you're using?" I mean, <laughs> I can't do that. And also too that you know, Matty V. Pointed out that a big part of baseball coverage with guys like Dennis Lynn and AJ Casavell is they have to go into a locker room. They got to go in there each day. They got to talk to people. They need quotes. And Look if one of the eyes guys, and
2: see passion dripping from their tear ducts,
1: well, you know, all of our writers have passion dripping from their tear ducts. They all are very <laughs> very solid young men who do things like that. But anyhow, uh, what they can, you have to have a relationship. So I don't think they could do that. And I, I also, I, I really don't care because I, I think I'm like with you guys. I think baseball is a skill game. And look at Jose Canseco. He talked about all the steroids he did. He did all the steroids. He sucked. I mean, Jose was a great player when he was younger. When he got to be some kind of freakish cartoon show, he 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 just wasn't that, that good a player anymore.
0: Yeah, I think with my with my thinking is you can't just pretend like it didn't exist. You know, like keeping these guys out is, is making it clear that, hey, we're trying to – brushes under the rug like hey these guys never exist and you you have to at least acknowledge it whether you put it in with an asterisk next to their plaque or what you have to at least acknowledge that these guys played because we're going to wipe away barry bonds and and roger clemens no it's it's not going to happen
1: well see i think the problem these guys have is the lack of historical context i mean one time i was watching hbo and as bob casas had a show and he was just railing about his Pet Peeve Authentic, and this, and he's showing his little Mickey Mantle baseball card. And one of the guys he had on there with him just for comedy was Chris Rock. And so oh, when he was... going to be
2: good.
1: <laughs> and so when he was... When Costas was going on about, you know, that Bonds wrecked the records and all this, and Rock said, well, how many black guys did Babe Ruth play against? And he said, well, none. It was before segregation. So no blacks or no Latins? No. Well, then who gives a shit about his records? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it... It's kind of, each air has its own problems. I mean, the Polo Grounds was 250 to right field. Baker yeah. Baker, uh, Baker Park in Philadelphia was like 268 with like some 50-foot wall and 300 to right. A couple guys hit one like triple crowns there. Do their records count? Yeah. But you don't sit there and put an asterisk next to those guys. You don't put an asterisk next to what Bonds and, and McGuire did and those guys. And also Bonds passed every test. That's true. And I'm just sitting there going, I know, I think I know. You know, as I said, I think a lot of these guys have never lifted a weight in their life or <laughs> or, yeah. or did that. And, and there's a huge difference, too. If one of you guys was playing and you're in your th- late 30s and you're playing for a contract that's going to pay you $6 million a year uh, for three years, believe me, the women or, or wives in your life would be totally – you'd have your own personal chef. <laughs> you'd be – having your own trainer yeah, come by. absolutely. You're,
2: you're talking it's about a way of life.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and my wife would certainly understand that. Oh, he's making $10 million? Do not feed him that brownie. Keep that away from him.
2: You yeah, know? and these guys are not, you know, athletes, not, you know, in baseball, I mean, in any, in any sport, but in baseball, you know, to relate to it, you and I and Eric, when we retire, well, you know, you'll retire before us. By the time Eric and I make it, there may not be Social <laughs> Security, but, you know, sure. we're looking at, hey, we're going to retire when we're 55. My mom just turned 60 and she just met with like a retirement specialist because she wants to retire in the next two or three years, my dad in the next five or six. So you're talking about regular everyday Joe's average people, the average American saying, I'm going to work two-thirds of my life. Whereas a baseball player, yeah, they might get some special ops job, but they're not going to be making the same money. They're not going to be making the same money if they go into the coaching ranks, at least not unless they happen to – you know, make it and get on that higher level like a Larusa or a Jim Leland where they're in name, these guys work for, you know, a third of their life, maybe that's, and that's all they've got. That's most of them. That's all they're going to have in terms of making that level of money to set themselves up. So it doesn't make, you know, it's not far fetched to think that they're going to go the extra mile to make sure they can squeak out as much as humanly possible.
1: Well, you know this having a kid. I mean, you get started getting in your late 20s or 30s. Suddenly, you know, you can't just say, oh, I'm off work. I'm going to go down to the gym for about two hours. And your wife's looking at you going, no, no, no. I've worked too. Someone's going to watch the kid and all this. If you're making millions of dollars, you got the nannies. And some, your wife is probably kicking you in the ass to go down and work out to get that that next contract. Hell yeah, or, hell. or two. And so, I mean – I think that's the thing that people miss. Do I think those guys probably did something? Sure. Do I think Barry Bonds is the best player I ever saw and I've watched baseball for a long time? Absolutely. Agreed 100%. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and do you think? And uh, we'll we'll give the listeners a behind the curtain uh, thing. We we recorded for about ten fifteen minutes and realized that uh, we couldn't hear John on the recording. So <laughs> was, not like we're
2: talking to ourselves.
0: Yeah. So if we're uh, if we're repeating something, I apologize. But it was brought up on air, John, um, before the uh, announcement was made about how it was. I think it was Harold Reynolds, which Danny loves Harold Reynolds.
2: No, no, <laughs> he's like the modern age Joe Morgan in broadcasting.
0: So, anyways, he was saying uh, that he's not a fan of the public, like the vote tracker. And he thinks yeah. that that may hinder people from getting in because it's like, oh, hey, well, this guy's doing fine. I, I, he doesn't need my vote. And then they don't vote for him. And then it ends up like Edgar, where he's at like 70%. Do you think that that has an impact on, on votes? And what, what do you personally think about that?
1: No, because I think most of the writers love revealing their ballots because it's something else to write. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, all those all those things that come in on the vote, the vote tracker usually have a column attached to them where some guy sits there and writes something and and you know, I think I think it adds more interest. I think I think all of us are watching that, and that's why it turns into the Hall of Fame show. So yeah, I I tend to dis. I I think Harold Reynolds seems like a, a nice person, but I tend to <laughs> disagree. He's like a
2: great guy. He's great at analyzing plays.
1: Yeah, maybe. You know, I mean, <laughs> I, yeah, I know one or two guys at the MLB Network, and they said, well, he's a nice guy, but yeah, he, he's another guy. You know, all these guys who are anti sabermetrics, the best way. I can think about it is, you know, if you guys were hiring me to be a lawyer and I said, well, I graduated law school in 91, I read case law to 2000, and yeah, I know you got this real estate problem. I haven't really read anything on it for like 17 years, but yeah, I'm fine. I'll take your money. I mean, you wouldn't hire me. I mean, and that's kind of what a lot of these guys do who won't kind of evolve and start looking at new stats. I mean, you can be against them all you want, but you have to at least know the argument. Or acknowledge it. Yeah, acknowledge it. I mean, my God. I mean, to sit there and say, like, what did Verducci say? War is a semi-junk stat? I mean. (laughs) The funny thing is, is that front
2: offices use, I mean, it may not be the war that we have access to, but every front office has an analytics team that has their own player evaluation and their own version of a war, regardless of what they call it. They have it, and they use it.
1: Oh, if you get a chance to ever sit and talk to Josh Stein of the Padres, and he can just break the whole thing down about how far they've come from like using Excel spreadsheets to like these really complex formulas and all that. So that, that stuff's always really fascinating to me.
2: Yeah, no, I absolutely. And I think that's... Uh, in terms of uh, the, the older players evolving, I always go back to an argument that between Eric Burns and Harold Reynolds, two ex-players, one one generation after the other, and Harold tells Eric Burns... You know, Burns, it's not about the numbers. It always about the numbers. And Burns shuts him down and says, Harold, we were paid strictly off our numbers. There's nothing to argue after that. Uh, so let's move into something else. Um, and uh, that's going to be the top prospects. A lot of lists breaking. Uh, Keith Law's top 100 prospect uh, list broke. Padres did very well there. Of course, right. uh, Baseball America's broke. And most importantly, the Madfriars list broke as well. Why don't you go ahead and talk about the uh, top uh, prospects for the Padres and how do you guys go into that? You have a big staff now. So how do you guys go into, you know, creating that list and getting that info?
1: Well, we have six six now. So each of us had our own lists. We're going to have the final Mad Friars Top 20 around February 15th when pitchers and catchers break. And hopefully we'll have some new information on our, our site that we're going to change around. Uh, because we agree with everyone else, $10 is a ridiculous amount to try to charge for people who just want Padre information, aren't really concerned about Akron Zips recruiting. Uh, so... <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna change that around and it's a big thank to dave and jeff for pointing that out to us and they were very nice uh we made everything for free on it for the past year so all of us kind of go into it we each have a, a little bit different methodology probably the biggest difference is between david jay and i i put on some relief pictures david will put on Oh, shit. I mean, well, I'm on here. David's not, so I should have some fun. David will put on eight-year-olds in Santo Domingo. About- <laughs> <laughs> he likes their whiffle ball skills and the way they attack an orange slice <laughs> after the game. So uh, we differ on that. And, you know, that's kind of interesting when you get to the Hall of Fame argument is you see the same thing with, uh, with prospect debates about what is the value or not value of a relief pitcher. Sure.
2: Now, you mentioned you put on a relief pitcher. Now, correct me if I'm Re- wrong. I'm just assuming— But I would imagine, like, let's say Phil Maton, right? Because he was a Padre Mm -hmm. top prospect. Is it more like, uh, hey, this guy, yeah, yeah, he's going to peter out. Maybe at best he's a high-leverage reliever. You want to look sabermetrically, that's a two or three-win player like a Brad Mm -hmm. Hand. Great value, but not a Tatis or not even a Urias or a Swahe or a Spangenberg type. Do you put guys like relievers like that, like a Phil Maton a couple years ago, because – Yeah, the floor, the ceiling's not high, but the floor is high. And, you know, how close they are in the big to the bigs compared to like a starter like Quantrill, who's going to need an extra year or two of development.
1: A little bit is is because I've got a master's in economics. I start looking at how much some of these guys are going to cost. Like, I think, (laughs) you know, when you start looking at a 25 man roster, uh, seven of these guys are relief pitchers. So, Two of them are kind of the high-paid high, high paid guys, the closer, and maybe one other guy. So with the other five guys, I don't think you should be spending six or seven million dollars a year on them. So if I was running a major league team, I would really insist that my farm director at least give me one guy that has a you know, pretty good fast forward, some very good trick pitch, that should be able to go up there and provide some type of value for the team. So if Phil Maton, who has a really good like two plane fastball and two plane slider when uh, good slider when it's working. Hashtag yeah. spin rate. Has yeah, the spin rate's key thing with him. And you know, when you this year I had three relievers on there. I had Trey Wingenter, who you know, I know you guys still play. You would have loved to face Trey. Trey's about six seven, long oh, arm, yeah. throws three quarters, touches a hundred of every time I've seen him. And from a three-quarters delivery, so if you can hang in there as a right-handed hitter, I mean, he's a big God guy. help. Oh, he's six-seven. He's huge. You know, and Munoz, he's 18. He throws in the high 90s. I saw him in Fort Wayne, and you know, Hansel Rodriguez. So I think those guys potentially have value. And you know, not to create a straw man, with David, David's point is that you can take if you took someone like Jacob Nix and you suddenly moved him back to the bullpen. According to David, he would be over all those guys, so it's kind of not right as he sees it to rank him. My thing is, I don't think necessarily every starting pitcher can throw out of the bullpen.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Now let's—you um, mentioned not to make uh, David Jay the straw man. Let's let's get into Kevin Charity a little bit because <laughs> sure. you mentioned uh, you mentioned Andres Munoz, and when he was in here with us, he said something that I thought was a little bit interesting. He mentioned with Munoz, hey, why don't you just let him try to start? And I think that's really, really. Unique. I don't want to say we- it's it's kind of weird. Like he, what's a fastball? Was he it's fastball? Take, okay, I didn't want to say it's it. a it's bad stupid. take. It's a bad it's take. Let's just be honest. We're all friends. What, what what do you think about having Munoz as a starter? Is that something you would do, or is Kevin just gotta, talking I gotta, his ass again?
1: I, I listened to it when Kevin said it. I mean, um, I saw Munoz. I'd like to find out a little bit more on him. The one thing I would probably say about him not being a starter: he's not that he's not that big. He's about six feet or six one, and usually guys like that, it's really tough for them, I think, to you know, to do that. And also, Munoz has really trouble con- commanding his fastball. I mean, it's good, but he needs a lot of work. And that was a big thing with Hansel Rodriguez, why he really took off, was he was worried about four pitches. They took away the two-seamer from him, and they took away the curve and the changeup. They said, just throw the thing hard and then throw a slider. His velocity went up about three or four miles an hour. And you know the slider suddenly became a lot better and sharper, but I don't know. I think I think it's spring training I'll look at. It. I don't like picking on Kevin as much. Kevin Kevin's a really nice guy. David, I have no problems. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, see. We yeah, maybe we should get Kevin to rest because he took a fastball of ribs from Jared Weaver yeah. on Twitter. But yeah, yeah, that was, didn't bruise him though. Didn't bruise him. No, not at all. Plenty of padding. Um, so I'm also, really excited, yeah, John, for <laughs> I'll
1: do one thing. And there was okay. a guy. I think. We, I think we should have an article coming out about a while ago. I used to pitch for the Padres, uh, James Needy, who's now in um,
0: – San Diego kid, Santana.
1: Yeah, San Diego kid, is now in uh, Florida. And he had injuries, and he was uh, coming out of the bullpen. I remember I talked to him in Elson when they made him a starter. And it was really interesting. I said, well, do you think you'd go to the majors as a relief pitcher? And, and Needy was always a lot of fun because he was just really blunt. He said, <laughs> no. <laughs> he goes, I'm going to make it to the majors as a starter because he said, to come out of the bullpen in the major leagues, you got to have just a, either a giant fastball or you got to have some ridiculous trick pitch like Luke Gregerson or unbelievable control like Houston Street. He goes, yeah, I'm a sinker slider guy. I don't have that. Yeah. So that's kind of I, – I really appreciate it. Needy would always sit there and talk to us about different things, which I liked, but I think that's kind of a – a good point on a lot of them I mean if you come in as a relief pitcher you have to be able to throw strikes immediately yeah. and fastballs usually and yeah. not everybody can do that
2: one plus
0: pitch at least a one plus pitch one average pitch gets you by well good good for him for being self-aware enough to uh, <laughs> yeah. to say hey you know that's that's what it is uh, but you know what what I think um, I want to kind of transition to position player the, the guy that I'm most excited obviously there's Tatis but other than Tatis the guy who I'm most excited about I've been on this train forever is Luis Urias, isn't
1: am I saying it right? Okay. Yeah,
0: Urias. So they start. They were talking. Okay, maybe he'll play short. Maybe not. They kind of toyed no. with him at short a little bit. Do you Do you guys know like why Why they did that with him at short? Are they trying to fast track him up to the bigs. What was the reason behind him playing short? Because he's obviously not going to play there moving forward, right?
1: Well, when we talked with Sam Ganey, the Padres director of player development, he said, with all the shifting going on, they were thinking they wanted to get him used to a guy that could potentially play some short. They never saw him as an everyday shortstop. He has trouble kind of going to his to his right. It's what most of the guys in San Antonio saw who saw him play quite a bit. He's a really plus defender at second base. I would expect to see him play much more at second because not only do they have Tatís there, but they got a whole bunch of other guys uh, behind him that are that are definite shortstops. So mainly it was just Not to see Urias as like an everyday shortstop, but get him used to playing there sometimes. He never looked really that comfortable there. He looked much more comfortable at second base. And, you know, he's got a shortstop's arm at second base. I mean, he's a a lot of fun to watch. The only thing that's kind of weird about him which he gets away with is he has a really big leg kick. And he even pauses the leg kick depending on the velocity of the pitch. You see him do that. It's really weird, but he gets away with it. He has tremendous uh, bat-to-ball skills.
0: Yeah, it's working very, very well for him, and that's that's actually I'm, I'm glad you said that about. They just wanted to see the versatility more than right. have him there as an everyday option. Which, because I was thinking at one point, and you even you even uh, messaged me after one of our shows where I said, "Hey, bring up your race and let him play short, like no. until Tatis is ready." and Yeah, I mean that's you you let me know and. I, I do appreciate that. Now, also, I mean, obviously, he's not going to come up this year because we have Freddie Galvis. So at shortstop oh, for yeah. one year. So that's kind of now that we have you on the show, I want to get your thoughts on that. I'm um, trading a future piece. De Los Santos, not I mean, he's he's not Cy Young, but he's a solid piece that's somewhat close to the majors. What do you think about trading him away for one year of Freddie Galvis?
1: I was okay with that, and just when I wrote mine was. You know, I'm not going to crap on De Los Santos. De Los Santos has his best year. He throws a – he has a really big velocity. I kind of – I think I told Darren Smith he was kind of like Denison Lamette Light. I mean, he uh, – I think with – I think De Los Santos had the big um, – had problem with the curve. He had a decent changeup. It's okay. But he also threw a very straight four-seam fastball. And I'm not sure if he was really going to be the guy that was coming up to be a starter. I think when you start looking at what they had above Double A and above, you could name about you know you guys could do that. A bunch bunch of guys are better starting pitching prospects than him. You got Lucchese, you got Quantrill, you have Lauer, you have. I'm a big you know, fan of Jacob Nix and uh, Logan. Me too. Yeah, and you could even argue, um, you know, Brett Kennedy had nearly as good a year as he did. And so the question is, if you see him as a relief pitcher, actually, I like Trey Wininger quite a bit. That's a guy to be able to come up and do this. And to trade him for a year of Galvis, I don't know that much about how good Galvis will be. And then, of course, I think the Phillies will win the trade because I think they'll probably find something to do, whether his ceiling is probably as a as a number four starter and he could probably come out of the bullpen. But I, I was okay with that trade. I don't think it would kill you. I don't know how good Galvis is. And as you know, you guys know, with Mr. Marver and myself, I didn't think Ron Dillon was a really realistic option at a at shortstop.
0: Not at Uh, all not at all well that's that's what i wanted to ask and for those for those of you who did not read that thread between uh, coniff and Marver, it was it was quite interesting well it yeah. was and then i kept reading and i wanted to figure out what a tide pod tastes like <laughs> after a while <laughs> it was it was kind of it was going uh, downhill pretty fast but with that i mean isn't there playing devil's advocate here for a team that is open with losing at this point and mm-hmm. openly trying right. to is it the worst thing in the world to throw Rondone down out there and just hey sink or swim maybe he turns into something probably not but who cares because we're losing anyways as opposed to a guy like Galvis who he's somewhat solid but after this year he's gone he's nothing
1: no as said, I said I don't think David made a bad argument I mean I like David Marver and I think and uh, Jagoff actually made a point why they keep him on the 40 man uh for so long I guess my biggest problem was I never met anyone either like Elsinore or San Antonio the guys who aren't really affiliated with the Padres who saw Uh, rondon played over 20 games and thought he was a major league shortstop Mm -hmm. even a utility guy and i mean rondon's whole value was kind of wrapped up in his batting average he didn't walk he didn't steal bases didn't Mm -hmm. head for power was mediocre and i know both the managers uh there were not um gotta be careful not not crazy about him how about (laughs) how about that not high on
0: him not not We they, can read between the lines, them.
1: yeah. Right. So I have, a, I guess, I have a problem. I mean, I don't think the point you're making is bad, but if he's not doing it in the minor leagues, I don't see why you promote him to the majors. That was not earning it, you know, at this right. point. Because
2: I think, and I agree with you, you know, when Rondon came over, he was the grab for Houston Street, and it was a good trade, yeah. right, from a process oh, standpoint. Yep. But sometimes these guys just don't play out. He was really young. He just petered out, and I don't think I think Rondon would be lucky to have one year of Freddie Galvis' production. And I view Galvis as basically a fringe major leaguer. If he, I said this on the last podcast, but you know, I, I liken Galvis to Jankowski. If Galvis played any other position other than shortstop, he would be hanging on to dear life for a major league job. Because Jankowski doesn't hit worth the lick either, but because he's an outfielder, it's harder for him to make a roster, whereas Galvis can masquerade as a starting shortstop for a couple of years.
1: Now, Jankowski, when I saw him in San Antonio after he came back from that really bad arm injury, I, I thought Jankowski was was really good. I mean, because what the thing is, when you saw him at like Elsinore, he's one of those left-right guys, so everything he would do would kind of be like serving it into left field. So the next year he goes up to San Antonio and he just runs straight into a center field wall with his glove hand. He's out for nearly a whole year. He comes back and he gets stronger, but the, the glove hand that's stronger is... Not, is sitting on top of his bat. So for the first time when I was watching him, you know, he was hitting the ball on a line, pulling it. And that was opening up the field, and he was running, and he's a great defensive player. But when I've seen him with the Padres, he looks kind of like he reverted back to what he was at A ball. Contact. Uh, contact, slap hitter. And then when he tries taking a swing, it wasn't that kind of quick, hard line drive swing. It's like this big loopy swing where he just looks like he gets beat on a good fastball every time but yeah. you know it's change
0: <laughs> yeah things do change now let me bring a little doom and gloom into this <laughs> <laughs> okay. we're talking good. about prospects so you mentioned rondon and i believe i'm not the jose rondon stat specialist here but one of you may have brought it up didn't he repeat a uh, level a couple times oh i can confirm
1: that it was his third year his third year and played 50 games he got hurt you know, he, he's a better defensive shortstop than, than Arias. I mean, I just – Rondon was the type of guy that they would – I think a lot of people were split on because he did have have some ability. Um, but he's also a guy I could pretty much see coming up and hitting about 180 with about a 210 on base. Right. And, right. you know, he just – I think they were looking for something else. Maybe Matt Stairs worked with Galvis. Maybe he was a guy talking to him. Probably Prowler and those guys have seen him since – he was like 15 years old or something like that in yeah. Latin America. And they might think they can turn him around. I mean, like what we were talking about with Javi Guerra, probably there's some guy in some organization that looks at Guerra and thinks that they can turn around his swing or his ability. I mean, I don't think so. But, I mean, uh, I don't get paid to, to to work on guys' swings either, though.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So kind of repeating levels, it brings me to my point here about Michael Geddes. Is, is this a make-or-break year for him?
1: Well, you know, someone said something really interesting the other day. You know, the problem, baseball's really about two things. It's about projection and evaluation. And what you guys are doing is a good job on evaluating. I mean, when guys like Charity, myself, and David J have seen Michael Geddes, I mean, he can do so many things on the field. But the problem is, you guys say quite accurately, you know, he's not doing it consistently. So, yeah, I think it's a big year because they, they all love what Getty's capable of doing. And you talk to Michael Gettys, too, and he's, a, he's really come a long way. And Michael knows flat out that he has to be more consistent. And David had a pretty good article with Gettys. It kills me to compliment David J., but I, <laughs> I hear you dying uh, inside. <laughs> it is. Like I threw up my mouth a little bit. But, uh, you know, he had a really good article where he pointed out that Gettys was fighting a lot of injuries, like to his back. And some to his hands, a little bit to his wrists. And so if he's completely healthy, yeah, I mean, if Getty is completely healthy, I mean, he makes he makes Renfro for tools look like Home Depot light. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Getty can do a lot of stuff out on the field. I mean, he's amazing.
0: Yeah, I hear you for sure. More do, more doom and gloom here. Um, Anderson yeah. Espinosa. So they waited forever to finally give him the Tommy John. So he's out this right. entire next year, right? Right. Wow. Yeah, I didn't, I
1: didn't rank Espinosa or Paddock because – I have no idea how well they can do. David, on the other hand, can see into all kinds of things. He ranked them pretty high. So but Espinosa, is, Espinosa is a you know a really talented player, but I have no idea where, he, where he's at right now.
0: Yeah, that's, that's kind of same here. Because I, I, I thought it was really weird because they were kind of, I don't want to say secretive about it, but I guess no, I will say were. secretive. secretive because secretive. he was supposed to start opening day this year, right, at Elsinore, oh, and then all of a sudden Lucchese's up there. Really, like, what the hell is this?
1: Lucchese's fun. I mean, Lucchese's a really talented guy. I mean, he's got some, you know, he's got all sorts of things going on. And um, the one thing people miss about Lucchese a little bit is Lucchese throws a pair of two-seam fastballs. He can have one that can break into hitters either on either side of the plate. So that's what makes him pretty good. And also with his his motion, he screws up the timing of guys. And uh, he's a lot of fun to chat with, too.
0: Yeah, it definitely seems as so. And when we've had our off-the-record conversations with uh, Kevin Charity, it, it definitely seems like uh, Joey Fuego is a
1: uh, pretty, oh, pretty cool dude. Fun guy. Yeah, Joey Fuego is really cool. Yeah,
0: yeah, definitely. So as, as we're kind of wrapping it up here, we, we don't want to um, take you for too much longer, John. We appreciate you being with us. Um, with the players here, you kind of went into it on 1090 a little bit here. Um, as far as who do you think is going to be the first of, of – this next wave so to speak to come up and actually make an impact on the major league
1: team Ah, impacts a tough word I think we're going to see Lucchese this year Dave and I were kind of disagreeing where Lucchese will start I think he'll start in El Paso you know come up Luis Urias I think will be the everyday second baseman I think you'll see those guys as far as more where you see the wave that will be coming I think you're going to see more in 2019 and 2020 and uh, the guys that I'm really excited about are to see the guys in Fort Wayne. And hopefully with uh, the new site, we'll have a little bit more money. You know, we'll drag Kevin Charity out to uh, to Fort Wayne, get him some Powers Burgers. and uh, All right. And uh, we'll have a whole bunch of stuff on all the 18-year-olds that are out there. Because I think Sam Ganey kind of hinted that he thinks the group they might have in Fort Wayne, this should be better than the ones they had last year. So that will be kind of fun to see. Yeah,
0: definitely. You know, someone who kind of came out of nowhere, and this this just came into my mind, is uh, Gabriel Arias. Where, where's he going to start? Is right. he in uh, Fort Wayne?
1: That's a good question, because they're kind of going back. He should be in Fort Wayne, but because they have so many uh, potential shortstops, they got Justin Lopez, Louis Almanzar, who they gave $4 million to, uh, Jordy Barley. The difference with the Padres now compared to in the past, like when they were running out Frenchie Cordero there, you know, a couple of years at shortstop, well, should he repeat? Well, what's the option? The guy from the fourth year from Lamar, who's 24 now, aren't you <laughs> going out there? But now you have a lot of pressure underneath because if you're a guy like Sam Ganey, who's, as you know, I said, the Padres director of player development, you subtract the pitchers, you have 32 spots, four full season teams. You have to try to get your best 32 guys out there playing every day. And with the Padres right now, they're a little more weighted at the A ball level than the than levels above. So they, I could even see them pushing Arias to uh, Elsinore, but I'm not positive on that right now.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Do you think uh, Baez starts
1: at Elsinore? Oh yeah, Baez, you guys are gonna love watching pitch. I mean, Baez Bias, Bias is six foot eight, he just comes down. And I mean, I did an interview with Baez, I had uh, was it Joe Galindo was helping me interpret and Baez was saying he's six six. And it was hilarious in Spanish, you know, Galindo. My Spanish is so-so. And Galindo uh-huh. just telling him, no, you're, no, idiot. You're six foot eight. No, I'm six <laughs> I can tell this one story real quick. When I've known Fremil Reyes for a while, and I kind of practice my Spanish on him, and he practices his English a little bit on me. And I said I want to do an interview. And Fremil said, well, you know what? I have to learn English, so you should do it in Spanish. So <laughs> I did it with Fremil in Spanish, had all my things, taped and all this. And then Framil reads it when I saw him when I went back to San Antonio. And Framil said, um, he goes, oh, I love the interview. So good. He goes, and the part I liked the best in there was that you said, any errors in translation are mine. So next year, when I'm in El Paso and I have 30 home runs by July and the Padres are fucking me, and I tell you that, (laughs) I can tell the Padres, no, no, kind of of Spanish sucks. That's not right. Oh, my God, that's
0: amazing. That's amazing
2: so yeah. what's the deal with with fran mill he was not taken in the rule five i don't believe um even though he's left off the 40 man what's the deal with him what do you see the Padres doing with him at this point god that's a great story i know it's amazing right i hope he, he makes it just for that
1: oh he hurt his wrist so i think he's going to be healthy and they're going to throw him out there and probably right or left field i mean for mills i <laughs> Famill a big man. I mean, Famill is six foot five, and he's very proud that he's a spelt two sixty two. Oh my he, gosh! No, and he's not fat. I mean, he's it's just a tank. I mean, you see him hanging out with Arias. He looks like that. Like Arias is like his portable meal, just about. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but he's. I mean, when he gets a hold of a ball, I mean, he he can touch. He can really go, and I mean, I saw him this year in uh, San Antonio, and he just loves the big moment. So I, I really hope Milway. makes it, I mean, he's a, he's a really good person. So, uh, you know, he could. I mean, he could. In El Paso and AAA, you let Framil have about 400 bats. I mean, he could do some serious damage in the PCL.
2: So with Framil, just one more rapid Because I think he's sure. very interesting. Because he doesn't fall on a lot of the top ten lists uh, no. for whatever reason. Do you think, I mean, just your hot take here. Do you think oh. he comes up? to the major leagues at some point because he says the Padres will be fucking him. I'm assuming he thinks (laughs) that they don't like him and they're just burying him down there. So there's obviously some drive in him. Do you think he makes it as even best case scenario, league average regular Hunter Renfro Latin?
1: Well, no, I think the Padres do like him. Fremont is just having a fun time with the show. (laughs) I mean, they've always – you know, anyone who looks at, at Framill because he really turned around elsewhere in the second half, he had a very good year putting up numbers in San Antonio, which is a really tough part to hit in. You know, those guys are not stupid. They look at his size. I mean, the big question on him is he has to pick up on his defense a little bit, he has to get a little bit better plate discipline. But yeah, you know, if you guys follow this. If Framill has about A 290 average and is popping about 20 bombs by June. Yeah, I could see him giving him a shot in left field.
0: Good. Yeah. I I would not mind that at all, especially, I mean, the nature of the team that they're at now. Hey, you need to be playing these guys and trying them out.
1: Oh, sure. Sure. I mean, you know, he has, I mean, he's (laughs) he's a huge man. I mean, when you're hitting right hand hitter, if you're hitting home runs in Nelson Wolf Stadium where the wind is coming across, from left to right, and I mean, he had—I saw him hit a couple over the center field wall over there. I mean, he has wow. tremendous power.
0: Yeah, definitely. And you know, back to that Spanish story there. Um, <laughs> you guys—is that why you went out and uh, brought in Marcus Pond? See, so he speaks Spanish. He had a Spanish interview with Luis Urias. It was really, really good. I, I This like the third time I brought it up. But, yeah, David
1: can speak decent Spanish. Mine's okay. No, Marcus's is 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 by far the best. How's
0: Kevin's? he orders very
2: well at the taco shop as you can tell he's got a five body on him
1: (laughs) (laughs) kevin does good good interviews kevin's pretty solid on this He's
0: very good he's a very good writer actually yeah yeah good guy too that's why i give him so much shit we're such dicks
1: well both marcus and travis are very good writers so yeah i'm looking forward to seeing more stuff from marcus and san antonio and travis is based in fort wayne so we're gonna have a lot of coverage on them coming up this year
0: yeah, definitely, and that's I think kind of Kevin touched on that when he came in. That's that's what sets you guys apart is that you guys have people on the ground in those places to talk to to talk to coaches, to talk to players. It's a different insight than what you get from other places.
1: Well, we try the best to have you know, if someone thinks we're all a bunch of dicks, I mean that's fine. But I mean, I mean as long as we have quotes by different guys like on the Padres and who are playing in there, I mean that's kind of what we really like to see. Is and also most people who read our stuff they're like like you guys. They kind of want more information. They don't necessarily want us telling them what to think, right. because I mean, there's people can have different ideas about which prospects will or will not make it. We just try to provide a lot of information so people can go off and have their own opinions.
0: Yeah, that's definitely a fair point. So basically, um, yeah, we we just want to thank you again for coming on, John. So yeah, as, as he said, hey, they got people on the ground. So if you guys if you guys are invested in the future of this team, as Danny and I are. You need to go to madfriars.com. Go ahead and subscribe, madfriars.com. Find John on Twitter, at Madfriars. And maybe we'll have uh, David J on next time. We'll
1: <laughs> to, to, to make no, some one uh, shots back at you. Don't so, subscribe till around February 15th. That's when we'll have, uh, hopefully, the, our, our subscription model figured out, and new site, because, as I said before, that <clears throat> there's no reason someone should ever pay $10 a month for that stuff. So we'll get it down to a, a decent rate and hopefully have more coverage and uh, We'll put Mr. Charity on a plane some more, so we'll make sure he's out there doing some coverage.
0: Well, fine then. Don't fucking subscribe. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think and,
2: that's going to about wrap it up. Again, go ahead and follow uh, the Overlord <laughs> at MadFriars on Twitter. Subscribe the day after Valentine's Day. Show him some love. And, of course, you can follow Eric and I and our Tinder – or, excuse me, not my Tinder follies, our Twitter follies, uh, at
0: 5.5Dan and at MiserableSDFan. Hey, thanks a lot for coming on, John. We appreciate it.
1: Hey, thank you very much for having me on. It was a blast.
0: All right, man. Take care.
1: Take care.
2: Okay. What well, was fun? Yeah, good times. That was a Great interview. Yeah. That was a lot better than the last rider we had in here. Let me
0: tell you.
1: <laughs> Who'd you have?
0: The oh, we yeah, had Kevin.
1: Year. Oh yeah. no, Kevin's good. Yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, so, anyways, what we're gonna go ahead and do here is uh, let's let's like finish this up here a little bit, right? So we we wanna we wanna talk to you guys a little bit here about. Um, kind of what happened. So John was great. John was great on the show here. We had a little bit of issues there with technical difficulties and he stuck, stuck through it and we were able to go ahead and uh, work through that. And he, he gave us more than more than a lot of time. So um, we want to thank him for that here. And also I was thinking today, I was like, you know what? Kind of the progress of of where we are as a show. so I was thinking about, oh, man, we're going to get this Padre Twitter show started, and it's fun, and it's cool. And I kind of thought about when we started and how we were getting, what, 10 people listen a week? I if almost If I
2: think you and I
0: accumulated like 80% of the listens because we would just listen to it multiple times. Yeah, definitely. So it's kind of Hoffman getting in is great because Hoffman deserves it. But as a fan base, we deserve it.
2: I know we deserve it We too. suffer
0: so much. Yeah, we've suffered a lot. And it's, it's a lot of fun to uh, bring everyone in on the show in, in our much smaller scale than, you know, what as the Padre fan base is, but um, we really appreciate you guys listening to the show here and, and retweeting the shows and telling your friends about if you like what you hear um, we got, there's a, a guy who just started following me like last week. I think I screenshotted the tweet and sent it to you. He you said, know what? I might have it. Let me see. No, don't worry up. about it. He said, <laughs> he said, out. Oh, this is a pod. This is the exact type of pottery podcast I was looking for. That kind of shit fires me up, dude. That's why Danny and I do this shit. So, and also we like busting balls and yeah, I mean, calling Kevin charity fat. Yeah. I, <laughs> like
2: Jared Weaver calls him fat. Yeah. Um, I mean, and then in, in all reality guys, I mean, when we started, it was literally sitting in Eric's car with an iPad. Just shooting the shit, dropping f bombs, and shitting on Bill Center. That's how this started. <laughs> we had a couple of buddies. You can follow them at Amazon. Amazon, yeah. uh, who Jared Weaver has also taken a shit on on Twitter. You know, we had our buddies listening to the show, and I, I feel like it's once we got, once you met Jagoff at that, you know, historic meeting in Elsinore. Historic. And then, yeah. <laughs> and then once we got Charity on, um, a lot of people have been giving us more listens. So we're very appreciative because this is not what we set out to do. Like we, we, we appreciate the listens. The, the idea was to just sit down and talk about baseball and record ourselves talking.
0: Yeah. Yeah, seriously. And that's, that's what we like to do. And also, I mean, at the end of the day, we, we still have some things planned. So, um, we, we looking at the progress, we're excited, but, um, also moving forward, we have some cool things planned for you also. So, um, anyways, uh, kind of, Tying a bow on the whole show here today. Hoffman is in the Hall of Fame. Fuck yes. Well deserved. Yes. John Connor, thank you again for everything. He was I dude, what a nice guy, man. Super he is, patient. He's such
2: a nice guy. No wonder, no wonder Kevin likes him. Kevin takes a
0: certain personality. And John's got it. Well, this is the first. This is the first time we ever had someone on on Skype, and I'm over here like, what the hell am I doing watching YouTube videos? I'm like, how the fuck do I make this happen? And and he was he stuck with us all the time. He's a trooper. And uh, as as we were saying off the air, that we've had Kevin on the show three times, and the the human centipede that is Mad Friars, Kevin is the caboose, so it was really nice to have the uh, the conductor on. So. You got any last words before you uh, finish it up here?
2: No, man, I'm just, I'm, I'm pumped. I, I can't believe Trevor's the Hall of Famer. Um, either I'm going to Petco to go watch it, or uh, I'll be uh, filling in for Mrs. Laboo when uh, we fly over to Cooperstown.
0: Yeah, we'll see about it. And, hey, uh, very happy birthday to uh, Miss Angela Asaro. Um, that is Roy's girlfriend that we met at... Uh, at the whistle stop there at the kept faith pod. It's her birthday today and Trevor Hoffman got in the hall of fame. So what a great birthday present. So happy,
2: happy birthday. Yeah.
0: Happy birthday. From Trevor. (laughs) Take care, take care of our boy Roy there. So anyways, guys, Hey, thanks so much for tuning in. We'll check in. We got maybe a show coming up next week or the week after. We'll see about that. Um, But until next time, we will talk to you later. We're out of here.